lot of different passages. And we're going to go first look at justice. We're going to kind of go like a, uh, if you've seen a wedding slideshow, we'll talk about justice first, see some slides with that. We'll talk about unfairness, see some slides with that. And then we'll see them, some slides together. Okay? <laughs> so you ready? Here we go. <laughs> All right. So the first one is uh, God is absolutely just. We're going to talk about justice first. Now, the thing is that um, like today in our day and age, justice has been thrown around so easily. It's almost become like a political idea, right? We're talking about social justice, social responsibility, uh, economic inequality, talking about racial justice. We have all these ideas and people have all these different ideas about what justice really is. And you ask someone on the street, people have different even definitions of what justice is. So what, as Christians, we need to go to scripture. We need something to have an anchor, a focal point of truth, right? And that truth is founded in God's character. And this is the statement we're gonna go anchor our beliefs and our viewpoints on today, okay? That God is absolutely just, absolutely, okay? If we look at um, even what our church, church's mission is this year, it is to be globally and locally minded for those who are vulnerable, for those who, have, um, who are in human trafficking or labor trafficking. We're, we're thinking about the things we buy, the things we do, the sources of those things and seeing how we um, can, can share God's heart with people who are more unfortunate than us. Okay. So justice is really important on God's mind too. And because God is absolutely just, he can tackle this global tr- problem where we can't, right? It's overwhelming to us and we're just going to try to tackle it with our own strength. But because God is absolutely trust, just, if, because he is loving and merciful, we can put our hope and trust in him okay, for this issue we're, we're facing. Right. Okay, so we're going to go to some scriptures just to give, you can look throughout entire scriptures and it talks about his justice. We're going to go sample a few. So if we look in the Psalms, it says, for the Lord loves justice. He will not his, forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. Okay, the next one is righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. So once again, we see God's character and his justice in the scriptures. And um, continue on, we'll, talk, we'll look in Galatians. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And in 2 Corinthians, it says that, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all, befear, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So we, more than just the, the idea of justice, we have this, this idea of reckoning. Okay. So it reminds, whenever I say reckoning, it reminds me of the game of life. If you ever played that, the one with the little spinning dial, you walk around, you get a job, you get kids, you know, you get the end. And then at the very end of it, what is it? It's, you have to land this one spot. It's called the day of reckoning. Okay. You have to stop there. The rules say it. You stop there and then everything gets, you have to pay off all your debts and then you get $20,000 for every child you had <laughs> in a lifetime. I didn't make the rules. And then you have a choice. You have a choice to either kind of uh, gamble all your money on one number or just not gamble and hope you have the most money, more money than anyone else, okay? 
So anyway, this idea of the day of reckoning is where everything that you've done right and done wrong is then um, kind of reconciled. So we have this idea about God, too, that no matter what, there is absolute justice, that no matter what people do in their life, whether good or bad, there will be a reckoning. And if I can uh, give you a little bonus, bonus Bible stuff for a little bit, there's two, this talks about two different judgments. So there's one is the great white throne judgment. The second one is called the Bema Seat of Christ. Bema is just a Greek word that means judgment seat. And actually, that's the word that you see in the second passage right here, okay? So we're gonna look at the great white throne judgment. It says that everyone living and dead are going to come before Jesus' throne. The books will be opened. The book of life will be opened. So the books, these books are just records of everything we've done in this life. And then it has a book of life. If your name is not written there, your eternal destiny is in hell. If your name is written in the book of life, your eternal destiny is heaven. Okay, with God. That's, that is what the great white, judge, great white throne judgment is, okay? And then you have the Bema seat of Christ, which is something completely different. We're not gonna be judged twice in that sense, but what it is, it's like a, um, it's like a award ceremony. It's, if you bear with me for a little bit, okay? It's like uh, someone is in a race, is in a competition, and they come to this seat where the, the presider or the judge is, and they hand out the, the awards, the trophies, the whatever. So you have this idea, is that when God's talking about this judgment seat, is that those things, those righteous acts of obedience that we have done in this life will be rewarded. Okay? Good? We're gonna go. All right. So just to recap, we're gonna break down some of these truths. So no act of disobedience of the unrighteous are going to go unpunished. Okay. No act of obedience of the righteous will go unrewarded. And at times his judgment was swift. So if you look in scripture, you really see God's character. You can look, you can look anywhere in, in, in scripture. You can look at Noah, how he had the flood. You can look at Abraham and Isaac. You can look at the children of Israel. Boy, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel. I mean, they, they messed up. Right? God punished them, you know, put them into slavery, put them into captivity, um, if, if you remember Aikinson, he stole something, disobeyed, disobeyed God. His, he, he was brought out right there the same day with his family and executed. Right? Judgment was swift. Judgment was right there. You sin, you pay the consequences. But at the same time, is, as you can see in the nation of Israel, same, same thing applies the other way, that if you uh, obeyed God, you received blessing. He talks about... Um, when, when, the, when the nation of Israel cried out in Egypt in slavery, it says that God heard their cries and he had compassion on them. Okay? He's there to be their victor, to be their deliverer. Right? So you see it, justice again. That, that those who, when they, when they come to repentance, and they are restored. They came out of captivity, they came out of their sin and bondage, and they were restored by God. So it was swift. But... I mean, if you're like me, you look around, you don't see that, right? You don't see people being executed by God. You don't see, you don't see the ground opening up and swallowing 20,000 people, right? You don't see plagues coming. But what you, you see, you see like everyone's just doing what they want and nothing's happening. But I want to remind you once again, as you look in scripture, that God's character is the standard, right? That God is absolutely just, that there will be a reckoning and that his judgment may just be delayed for now. Okay. A good passage that we can look at is 2 Peter chapter 3. So if you were 
want to go look back, you can write down 2 Peter chapter 3, where it talks just about that. It says that in the last days, scoffers will come and say, where is the promise of his coming? Where do you think Christ Jesus is going to return? Like, they say, scoffers are going to come. You think Jesus is going to come? He's going to promise it. Nothing has changed since the beginning of creation. Things have been the same. You look everywhere. Things are all the same. This is what scoffers are going to say in the last days. But... Peter is great. He, 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 he just blows that argument out of the water. First he says, okay, if that's what you really think, first, first, it says that God created everything out of nothing. So you have a change. So if you think nothing's changed since creation, look, creation itself was a change. Then that's the first one. Second point is that Noah's flood, that he, he reserved the world for judgment through water, okay? So there was another change, a, a global catastrophic change. There were a lot of people living, a lot of buildings, a lot of everything, infrastructure, civilization wiped out, except for no one and his family. So there, you have a second change. And then the third one is that God has promised that the earth and heavens are gonna be reserved for fire. Another judgment. So what are you gonna do? <laughs> you see, if you look at history, he was writing two of these. Are you going to take your chances and you're going to risk it saying, oh, I don't think the third one's coming? So the argument's very silly. If you think that God is not going to return, you are, he has proven himself right every single time, and you are on the losing side of that argument. Okay? So his judgment is just delayed. And what's really cool is after he makes this argument, Peter says, look, the Lord is not slow concerning his promises. It does a passage where he goes, you know, to the Lord, a day is as a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. It's not a formula. It's not a conversion factor between God time and human time. What it is, is really just to say that God is tracking time differently from us. His scale is completely above and beyond something that we can even comprehend. So when he says that, that we, when we think that God is slow concerning this promise of his coming, it's not. And it goes on to say that God is not slow concerning his promises, but is patient towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you hear that? So the reason, the reason why we don't see God's judgment right now, the reason why we see Jesus not coming right now, because of his patience, he's waiting for more people to repent. Isn't that amazing? And we see this beautiful picture. So if you ever wonder about why evil is happening in this world, why all this bad stuff is happening to me, God is waiting for repentant hearts, repentant souls. And when that day is done, he's going to come. It's going to be a glorious time. So we see that God's judgment is certain. All right. The next one. So now we're going to move on to unfairness. And, and this one is that God is incredibly unfair. All right. We're just going to leave that. Now, why did I say that? Okay, so let's look at some scripture again. This is Romans chapter 9 now. Oh man, Romans chapter 9. If you've never studied Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 9 is like Christianity 301. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Don't study this one first. When you just become a Christian, you wait until you study a lot of scripture, studied all the Romans, and then you get to this one and you struggle with it. <laughs> Romans chapter nine starts with saying, when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, had done nothing else good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older shall serve the younger 
as it was written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So here he have this, okay? Um, they're twins, Jacob and Esau. And God had said, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated, before they were even born, okay? Now, it's, it's like saying to me, it's like, okay, which, which daughter is your favorite? I'm like, well, I, I don't have favorites. Like, I, 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 lo- I love them both equally, right? It's like, what if, what if one's older, you know, they've done more good things, so you should love them more? It's like, well, I mean, I, what a weird question, right? <laughs> no, I love, I love them equally. It's like, well, what about this one? You know, this, this younger one, she's, she's, she's disobeyed you less, so shouldn't you love her more? It's like, wait. Why are we still talking about this? Like, <laughs> there's no there's thing. And then you have this, you know, the, the, the twins. Like, what if two twins, exactly the same, born the same time, did exactly the same thing, or in this case, did nothing together, did absolutely nothing in their life yet, just born, which one would you love more? It's like, oh, I, that's, that's the craziest question ever. You think, I will love them equally. But here you have this. God says, Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I have hated before, I even, before they were even born. And it's... Man, this is tough. Like, this is tough scripture. Like, what does this mean? And then you look at this part, the next part. What shall we say then? Is there injustice with God? It's like, I think so. I mean, this is, this is my natural conclusion, right? And Paul is talking this rhetorical question, like, is God unjust? Because this is something that's true. We have to reconcile it with our own beliefs about something that just seems completely wrong or some, something against what we, our natural tendencies are. Right? And so, oh, I spent years like just struggling with this. Like, really, really struggling with this. And, and I'm hoping that you would too. Like, when you come to a place in Scripture where you just, you're reading it to ask those kinds of questions. Like, does this make sense? Like, what is going on? But what you learn is that as you continue to study Scripture and understand the character of God, you realize that, that, um, you're in the wrong. And we'll talk about that a little bit, so you just have to hold off on the answer to that question for now, okay? I'm gonna talk a little bit about, about my, my childhood. So it's a little story time, right? This, you remember this? This is my childhood. Um, so I, 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 was, I grew up in a family of six kids. I was number five. So I understand middle children. I don't understand firstborn children. I think they're a little weird. Um, I think they, they, they don't understand fairness and unfairness. So anyway, I, 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 growing up, like, I kid you not, we would play store. And we all get money. We, we get these little index cards, write 20, $20 on it. Had a lot of 20s. And then we would make little circles of paper and write money on it too. And then um, we go, we play store. All right, so great. So look, we put all these items, you know, we find it around the house. We put it in one place. Like, this is the store. You can go spend money, prices on everything. It was really fun. But we had exclusive use to it, and we went in order of age. So the firstborn, she goes, goes to the store by herself, and we're just looking. She buys that, it's like, oh, I wanted that. And then she buys that, oh, I wanted that too. And then she, when she's done, she's the bomb, and the second goes in, goes, spends her money, and like, where well, my stuff is going? Like, how come, why can't we go to the store together? So there, like, I'm the fifth, I'm the fifth. So by the time I get there, I get everything no one wants, <laughs> you know? How is this fair? And so even as a kid, I must have been, I don't know, I must have been like six or seven. I don't know. It was, it was really sad. Okay. <laughs> unfairness. Like, if you never felt like kids, unfairness. And then, not only that, I, I, this is a true story. They did that with favorite colors. So they go, okay, okay we'll all get a favorite color. 
Uh, but first, uh, the oldest gets to pick first. Like, first, first. I was left with orange, okay? <laughs> My favorite color was orange because there was nothing left. Like, I don't want. I don't want to have orange in my face. I wanted blue. I don't know if blue was taken. Like, this is so sad. So I went around. I even have a picture of me in this orange, like, overall. <laughs> like, it's like, you firstborns just don't understand. You don't understand. You think it's everything's fair. It's like, oh, yeah, I got to buy stuff at the store. I, we all got to choose our favorite color. <laughs> oh, no. I was orange. And then, okay, we come, so now, now going to these pictures, right? So, so. So you, you can imagine how my life was, right? Everything I did had to be fair. Had to be, because it was just traumatizing. So, so with these handy snacks, I could not, I could not eat it without cutting it into four pieces. I would take this little thing and I, so I make a cross. And so each of the cheese, I would make exactly equal for the four crackers. I take the cracker, I take a little piece, make sure I wouldn't contaminate the other ones and go spread it evenly and eat one and take the other corner and do it. It was crazy, right? It's <laughs> like, what was I thinking? But I couldn't. I was like, I can't eat it unless it's completely even. And then and another thing was um, I, would, I would go with my mom and we would go to um, Chevron gas stations. And at the time, they had vending machines with candy in it. And so we'd always, always get sweet tarts. Right? And you just put in a quarter. It was really nice. Quarter while she's filling up on gas. We filled up at least once a week. And we used to always go to the same gas station. So it was great. She would let me do it. So I'd take a quarter, I'd take the sweet tarts, you get the different colors, and I couldn't, at the end of it, like eat, eat one, and I look at them all together, I go, I have to eat one of each color at the very end. I'd save it and eat them all at the same time. <laughs> to make it even. All the colors have to be even, equal, e eaten equally. <laughs> Every time, I had to do it, okay? And not only that, Lucky Charms too. So what I would do was, this is like my favorite cereal, I, I liked it better when I had less marshmallows, but anyway. Um, Gravy zero growing up, and I had the same thing. I had to make sure one of each marshmallow, at least one of each marshmallow is there, and I put them all carefully on the same spoonful as my last bite, and eat them all at the same time. Completely fair. Completely at the same time. Or, I would do this. I would go, and I'd go, okay, you know what else is fair? Randomness. Randomness is fair. So if I just went from the top of this bowl to the bottom, and just keep eating. It's like, if you just get caught, if you get caught in that, <laughs> that middle stream, well then, that's, that's randomness. That's fair. And then whatever was left, well, you get to be the winner. But you still end up in my mouth. And so I had to. I had to. I was just like neurotic about it. I was like, ah, why orange? And so anyway. So even more so, right? Going back to what the, what the point of the message was, was more so like, how can, how can God be unfair? Like, no, that is wrong. Like, no, it had to be. It's, something is not right, okay? Something is not right. So, when we come to those situations, when we come to situations where we feel that our viewpoint clashes with the Bible's viewpoint, what happens? Okay? We, we realize that we are the ones who have to change. Okay? Because we are imperfect, we're finite, and we come across the infinite God's truth. And so, really, the key to understanding Romans 9 is understanding the entire book of Romans. You've got to read Romans 1 to Romans 8 to understand where he's coming from, the context of what he's saying, who his audience is. It's, 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 a, it's a discipline. It's a discipline to study the Bible. And not only that, you have to understand that Romans is really a summary of what God was doing over his entire history of the Old Testament. From creation 
onto Israel, onto this age of law, to age of grace, okay? That's how we understand scripture. So from our, when our viewpoint clashes with the Bible's viewpoint, we are the ones that need to change. So we're gonna go to one of those passages right here, which is in Romans chapter eight. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So I'm gonna do a little illustration. So I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up. If you can stand like front and center. Yeah, thanks. In this passage, in this passage it's a comparison of three people. So pretend you don't know these three people. I'm gonna give them new identities. We have first, let me introduce you to Abel. He lives out in the mountains by himself. He, he, he does everything right. He, um, he lives off the land. Um, he doesn't bother anybody. He's very kind to the animals and everything. But that's him. Would you die for this person? Mm, I don't know. He's <laughs> a little bit, I mean, he's by himself. He has no social interaction. Would you die for him? Okay, then you have Greg. Greg, though. He goes around the world starting orphanages, okay? <laughs> he helps people, he gives up his time and energy to help those who are less, less fortunate than himself, okay? He spends his entire life just doing the giving everything he gets, giving it away to everybody else. Would you die for this person? Eh, maybe, yeah, I mean, he seems good. He seems like, well, you, you, people kind of make comparisons. Well, he's better than me, so his life must be worth more than mine, so maybe, maybe it is worth it. And then you have Spencer. Spencer. Spencer's a drug dealer, okay? <laughs> he's a drug dealer. His favorite, favorite hobby is kicking people while they're down, all right? That's, that's him, right? When he's smiling, he's thinking evil thoughts about you, all right? Hmm. Rubbing his hands together, right? Would you die for this person? Well, no, absolutely not, right? Thanks, guys. You can be seated. So we have this, we have this idea in Romans chapter 8 of these three people. It talks about that the righteous person, that was kind of exemplified by Abel, the righteous person, would someone die for them? Maybe. And it says that. Perhaps, I mean, one would scarcely die for a righteous person. Scarcely. And then you have this person who's a good person, Greg. He's good. Wow someone might dare to die for him, even if you didn't know him, because he's a good person. And then you have Spencer, he's a sinner. Would anyone ever die for this person? No. So you see that the question is, we make those decisions based on fairness. What do people deserve or don't deserve? Does this person deserve to have someone die for them or not? And this passage says, God's character is such that he is unfair. He doesn't look at the, the things that people have done. He has died for the drug dealers. He has died for those who are sinners. And if we are honest with ourselves, we are all that person. We are all sinners. We are all worthy or deserving of death. And yet he, in his great love for us, has died in our place. Now, wouldn't you want that kind of unfairness from God? Wouldn't you? Otherwise, you have to earn it. You have to, you have to look at all the goods you've done, Hopefully they outweigh the bad, and then you say, well, God, I deserve for you to die and send your son for me. Or would you say, I am so unable to 
do anything with my life. I'm so unable to save myself. I need your unfairness. I need you to look on me with grace and mercy to save my life. Now, which one would you want? So you see that God's unfairness is something that is true and something that we really should want. And in the last part, it says that since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So the word justified is talking about justice. It's talking about we have this picture of of, um, a courtroom that now we have been made righteous or that our punishment has been given to someone else through his son. All right, so we're going to go just recap. Recap. So Romans chapter 9, is God unjust? He answers no. He is not. By no means, it says. By no means. And it goes on to kind of describe it. And in Romans chapter 8, we see, is God unfair? Yes. In a good way. All right? So, we have, going back to the title of this, where justice meets unfairness, then why, why Ryan, why'd you name it unfairness? Why couldn't you just do something else? Why couldn't you name it, like, where justice meets, I get this thing, justice meets grace? Because if you look at it, Grace, by its very definition, is unfair. Right? Grace is giving you something you don't deserve. It's unfair. Do you all agree with me? Grace is something that's unfair. Or we can also say, in the same way, where justice meets mercy. We I could have named that that. I could have titled my sermon that. Because mercy, by its very definition, is unfair. It is not giving you something you deserve. It's not giving you the bad stuff that you deserve. The punishment for your sins. That's mercy. Right? So in other words, we are enjoying the unfairness of God while complaining about the unfairness we see around us. It's kind of ironic, right? And the last one is where we could also have said where justice meets love, and specifically unconditional love, because unconditional love is, is by definition without conditions. You didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to earn it. It's just unconditional. And that's what God says he, he is with us. He loves us unconditionally regardless or despite us being able to love him back. So, the problem is that, that's all nice and all, the problem is that we, we operate, when we live our lives, when we, we make our decisions, this is often true, right? We often are most concerned with unfairness when it's directed towards us. Now, let me give an example of, of my kids. I mean, even, even as little, little ones, you know, they, they're barely, ever, barely able to, to, look, look, to look over the counter. And then I'm pouring them cereal, you know, Addie and Nora. And Nora looks, and she peeks up, looks at the bowls of cereal, looks, looks at which one has more, and then grabs that one. <laughs> it's like, oh, this one has more, I'm gonna take it. I mean, that's, that's kind of like natural. It's like, if she's, not, she's not thinking, she's just looking which one has more. Or we were at a, uh, we were just at a buffet, okay, we were, we're at a buffet and they have all the desserts and you pick it up and there's these jello cups. Okay. Jello cups. All kids love jello cups. And this was this is recent, right? And then um, we, I get a jello cup and give them each one. You know, here. Here, Nora, here Addie, each have a, a, a jello cup. Alright? And then Nora's just like sad. Her face is sad. It's like, what's wrong? I got a jello cup. She goes, Addie had had one before. She had two. I only had one. It's like, it's a jello cup. You get, you're having your dessert right now. It's like, I know how I feel, kid. That's what I was thinking. This is my life. You got to deal with it. (laughs) 
But no, but no, I mean, why, why is she saggy as a jello cup? Because she's comparing with, with her sister who had two. And then Allison, I, I really wasn't gonna do it. I was like, yeah, yeah, feel it. Feel that pain, internalize it. <laughs> and Allison said, no, just let her have a second one. I was like, okay, fine. I mean, uh, I was, I'm just a proponent. It's like, you know, people say, oh, whenever we have two kids, you gotta get two of everything, two of everything, so everything's fair, so they don't fight over it. It's like, no, they gotta learn to share. Just get them one, let them go at it. <laughs> struggle. <laughs> I had one thing, we had six, we had to struggle. So you gotta learn. Two's not that bad. Anyway, I'm not traumatized, you can tell. I'm not, I'm not hurt, I'm not bit. <laughs> But you see, it's, it's funny though, but even we carry that into adulthood, right? I mean, it's, it's really the reason why we can't share how much money we make. Because what people do, we compare and go, wow, what you do is a lot easier than what I'm doing, and you're making a lot more money. It's like as adults, we just can't get over that. We just can't, we just, it just festers. Even people within your own companies, like they have the same, same job description, same job responsibilities, and they're making more, that bothers me. Because it's not fair. Right? So even then, as adults, we, we still operate in those things, even though it's not about jello cups anymore. It's about, you know, somewhat we think are, are bigger things. But in the end, it's not, right? In the end, everything is, is insignificant. And so we're going back to scripture, and we'll look at Jonah chapter 4 to see an extreme caricature of this idea of selfishness, right? So um, it's a long passage, so I didn't print it out. So if you want to look, you can, you can follow along. But the, the principle is that there's four chapters in Jonah. God has called them to, to preach to this wicked city of Nineveh, this Gentile city. He doesn't want to go, so he runs away. And then God brings him back, all right? Put him in the belly of the big fish, and he'll shipwrecks him and spits him out. Runs to Nineveh, preaches, and then after the end of chapter three, he finished preaching to them, and then the city repents. Okay, right? Mission accomplished, right? But no, um, God says, "Yeah, I will, I will, um, I will not bring disaster onto them." But Jonah's like, "Wow, that's that makes me really mad, exceedingly displeased." It says in the very first verse of chapter four, Jonah is exceedingly displeased that. God would spare these people. It's even, it's, it's so ironic. If you ever had a chance to study Jonah chapter four, it's funny how Jonah is talking with God. He says, um, I know you are, are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. But I thought you would still do it. <laughs> but still, that just really bothers me. Really bothers me that you spared these people. And then God just says, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? Is it right for you to be angry? Are you justified to be angry? This is a rhetorical question. And Jonah's like, Argh. So, but, but he goes, maybe there's a chance still. So he, go, he climbs up like this hill, right, on the east side of the city. And he, you can, I can imagine him, and he builds a booth, right? So he kind of kind of builds a little place. Because he wants to see, maybe God will still do it. And it's going to be pretty glorious. It'll be like a big firework show. Maybe, you know, fire and brimstone. Maybe he'll do some other method. Maybe he'll do water. Maybe he'll do something cool. But I'm going to watch. I don't want to miss it. So he, you know, I can imagine him getting his lawn chair, getting his LaCroix and his hurricane popcorn. And he's waiting. It's like, hmm, maybe God's going to destroy them. And it's going to be really cool. So he just sits and waits and watches and watches. Hmm, and it's still there. Hmm, don't see anything. And then it gets really hot, right? And then and the story goes that God brings up this gourd, gives him some shade. It's like, oh, shade, so great. And then the next day, 
worm comes up, Isagord is dead, no more shade, lots of heat, burns, like, oh, so hot, just kill me, God. So, so dramatic, right? And then, uh, <laughs> then God says, do you do well to be angry for the gourd? You know, just the same kind of questions, like, are you justified to be angry for this gourd? Uh, and J- Jonah says, yeah, I am angry. I am right to be angry for this gourd. That's his response. <laughs> it's like a child, right? Anyway, so he, he's saying this, and, and God, God says, look, you are so, you think you deserve this comfort or relief from the sun by this one gourd that you didn't plant, you didn't work on, you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it. And yet you are pitying it, you're so sad and angry about this gourd, this plant, why would I not be, why, and why not about these, this great city of Nineveh who has 120,000 people? And this city is huge. It says it takes you three days to travel across the city. Three days, right, on foot. But still, it's, it's, it's ginormous, right? And yet you can't even have compassion on these people. So you see, it. Jonah is extreme. It's an extreme example of he's only concerned really about his fairness about himself. What's fair for me? What's fair for me is that I have this shade while I'm watching, hoping for the destruction of other people, right? And, he's, and you see, so ironically contrasted with the city of Nineveh who was repenting and hoping that God will spare them from judgment, right? So, now we're going to move on to Philippians 2. So, Jonah 4 is an example of how not to act, how not to live your life. And we're going to look at Philippians 2 to see how we should. Now, I want us all to turn to Philippians chapter 2. It's going to be great. We're going to do a little, little um, in-depth study of this. So, if you have it on your phones or in your Bible, get ready. We're actually going to try to highlight some things. So um, on the apps, you can do it. If you have an ESV Bible app or a version app, you can, you can um, I think you can double tap on it on a verse and then you can write some notes on it or comments on it. So we're going to do that. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start with uh, verse 5 and go all the way through 11. We'll take it slow. Let's make sure we're all there together. So we're going to read it. Um, Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11 says... Have this mind among yourselves, which is, all, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, so first off, we want to look at this. So we highlight this, form of God. We're breaking this passage down. And it says that Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So that phrase, a thing to be grasped, um, the root really means something that is going to be taken or stolen. So he did not, or, or robbed. So you see that uh, Jesus Christ did not, consider, did not consider or count equality with God a thing to be taken from or taken or stolen from. It was his. That's what that passage means. 
I don't know if I said that correctly, but it means that this is, it was his, not something that he needed to steal from God. Okay? That the, being in the form of God did not count equality with God's things to be grasped. He didn't have to, he already earned it. He already earned, or he already, because he was God, he was already equal with God. It's not something that he needed to steal. All right? So this is what we would say fairness. What was fair for Jesus Christ was that he was God. This is who he was. Now, we continue on, and we're going to go highlight these things. The form of a servant, human form, and death. So, if Jesus Christ, being equal with God, this is what was fair to him. Instead, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. So this, these, these three, these three things is unfairness. What he didn't deserve was to become a human. It was to become in human form, become a servant. All right? But he willingly did this for the purpose of death in obedience to the Father. Okay? Now, there's a lot more things to highlight. Now we look at all these three things and say this is justice. So, going back, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, under earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, so, so what we're talking about is the, um, first off, death on the cross is justice for us. This is what we deserved. So for him to die, and not only die, but die the, the worst kind of death, death on the cross, was that he has transferred our justice to himself. So um, it was, it's you know, the great exchange that, that we, in our sins, were guilty of the punishment of that sin, which is death. This is what we deserve. Because of our sins, we deserve death. Christ has taken that verdict and taken that conviction of death and placed it on himself. He came in human form to do that, to die the death we should have died, to die the death we deserved. And he has taken it, the one who is the least, absolutely least deserving of that, right? But the, the, the great thing is the story doesn't end there. It says, therefore, therefore God has highly exalted him. So we still have justice for Jesus. That Jesus, by his acts of obedience, by his humility, he has been exalted by God the Father. And like I said, in the end, everything reconciles. That Jesus did not stay dead in the grave, but he rose again and he's reigning on high with God. And that every knee should bow and every tongue confess. So you see the exaltation, the, 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 the worship, the praise that is due him that he deserves. Okay. So summing this up, that Christ Jesus, in his fairness, decided to give up his fairness to take on unfairness. You with me? Give up his fairness, what he deserved, or what he thinks he deserves, he gave that up to take on unfairness, to come onto this earth to die a sinner's death. And yet there's justice at the end of it. 
that we are now made righteous because of his sacrifice and he is exalted because of his obedience. And this is the mindset we need to have. And so it says in the very first part, have this mind among you which is yours in Christ Jesus. Or in other translations it will say, uh, have this mind in you which is also in Christ Jesus. So Christ Jesus had this mindset of humility and sacrifice for others. We too must have this mindset. And I just want to highlight some, a little bonus thing too, that the thing in green is really his choice. He did this voluntarily. He gave up his fairness. It was not taken from him. He gave it up for others. Okay? Emptied himself. He humbled himself. He's the one who gave up his life. He's the one who, who, who gave up his rights or his, what, he, what he deserved. So we can, we can apply this to a lot of other verses too. So we'll just go with this really quick. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And we have the same idea. That Christ who knew no sin, that was, he, he, he was innocent. He lived a perfect life. He knew no sin to become sin for us. I mean, that's crazy. To become the embodiment of sin that on the cross God's wrath was poured out on him for all the sins of humanity. Every sin you can think of, every sin that you have done, past, present, and future, was laid on Jesus Christ at the cross for us. Okay? That's unfair, right? God didn't have to. He could have stayed on his throne. Jesus Christ could have stayed in heaven, but he did not. He decided, decided to be obedient and to give up that, what he deserved for us. Okay? And then there's justice, that we might become the righteousness of God. That now before, we've got this courtroom idea again, that we stand before God as our punishment for sin being paid for. All right, so what does this mean to us now? Okay? So we can look at other passages now. We, we, we take that idea of giving up what we think we deserve for others, and we apply it to passages like this. So now this makes sense when Jesus is preaching this is a Sermon on the Mount. It says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, after the, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. So it's, it's, it's saying that exact thing. It's saying, now this makes sense that it's saying Jesus did this. Jesus loved his enemies. He, he gave up what he thought he deserved for the sake of others, right? So when we see people, especially those who would actually hurt us, harm us, persecute us, or hate us, right? Our enemies, those are the people we need to show love for because those are the things they don't deserve. Yeah, they're our enemies. They don't deserve love. That's what we need to give them, right? These people abuse us. They don't deserve our prayers. That's what we need to do. We need to pray for them. Does that make sense? These people who curse us, what do they deserve? Not blessing. We got to give that to them. We got to show them the unfairness of God because that's what God has done. We extend his grace to others, extend his mercy, and extend his love to others by showing them this is something you don't deserve. And we can exemplify that in our very lives. Isn't that cool? So this is our ending thought. As you go out into the world and as you think about unfairness, you think about justice, let this be our drive. Let us give up what we think we deserve so that we can give others what they don't deserve. Okay? 
Can we see unfairness in, in a different light? Can we see, you know, the things, can we let go of, the, of our, our rights, what we think, um, our earnings, our whatever, whatever things you, you feel like you, is, is yours, can you, can you be willing to give those up? Our time, our resources, that others may be blessed, that others may see God's heart, that we may see his unfairness towards them, his great love for them. All right, let's pray together.